Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club, connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, we're catching up with a beautiful genius, Alexandra King, uh, the CEO and founder of Ask Marketing. Ask Marketing is a company that provides SMEs with virtual marketing managers. So someone that can work directly with you as the CEO to ensure that your business's marketing strategy is flawless and is delivering you exactly what you need at a fraction of the cost as you would spend on a full-time marketing manager. It's a fantastically innovative company that I was really excited to learn more about. Me and Ali spoke about how to build a marketing strategy. We discussed all the different MarTechs or the marketing technologies and how they can be used in your business to, to make it more efficient. And we, we focused very much on how to use marketing to generate repeat sales, more sales from your existing customers. Her knowledge on all these topics really blew me away. She is a master of her craft, and that came across in this conversation. I, I had a fantastic time speaking to Ali, so enjoy the show. We're live. Welcome to the show, Alexandra King. How are you? I'm so well. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Um, I'm excited to have you because you are Cub's first and only business owner that owns a company that does virtual marketing management. Yeah, thank you. So we're going to learn all about that today because um, as you could tell when we first started, when we were talking before the podcast, I knew almost <laughs> nothing about it. Uh, but um, first off, you're a very new member as well. And you only joined, was it right before COVID? Yeah, February. So, and so, so how a month before COVID. A month before lockdown. Yeah. And, and was that, <laughs> did that screw up your membership or was it, was it, was it, um, was it still a very good experience? No, the exact opposite, actually. I think out of all the businesses out there, you should be so proud of how quickly and how well you digitalize your whole business. That's so, good. Yeah. My so experience was really good. And what did you like most? What, 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 what are the digital stuff were you enjoying? I think, um, like as you would know, my business has always been 100% virtual. Um, so nothing really was, you know, disfamiliar to me. But the all of the digital conversations, yeah, you know, I was attending like two or three digital conversations during that lockdown period. A week, so, yeah, a week. Amazing. Yeah. And and what awesome. did you what value did you get from it? Did you, was it the knowledge? Did you meet good people? Any any good things come out of it? Yeah, both. I think, you know, I was saying to someone else the other day. Never did I think I would be sitting in that um, conversation with Matt Joy, yeah. you know, one, talking about one of the biggest M&A deals um, in Australian history, yeah. um, which obviously just accelerates your knowledge threefold. Um, so always, that was epic. I always say that. The, the number one reason you should people should join Cub, or I guess one of the, one of the major benefits people should join Cub mm. is that once you've got these relationships with these other just incredibly accomplished people, your knowledge base just goes Boom! It gets so much bigger because so true. yeah, like well, you're about to teach me a bunch of stuff today, <laughs> and and you know that that's just a thousandfold yeah. in the club, and, and and that's the beauty of it. Mm. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So the knowledge the knowledge mm. part of the the knowledge part of the membership is awesome. Now, before we get into what exactly and why exactly a virtual marketing manager exists mm -hmm. and, and how you fell into that business, mm -hmm. why don't you educate us on you? 
We want to know, the can the real Alexandra King please stand up? We want to know where you're from, what your background is, how you ended up in business. I'm reading your prep sheet and I know you've got a badass marketing history. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to know all about it. How did you, where, where, were you obviously born in Australia. Where were you born? Okay. Where did you grow up? Um, so I was actually born um, in Orange in the Central West, which is about oh, yeah. four hours um, northwest of Sydney. Um, and then I moved to Bathurst shortly after I was, I was born. Um, and I went to school there. And then when I finished school, I actually moved to London. Um, and I did, I don't know if you've heard of it. We, it's called like a gap program yeah. where your school has a sister school in Yeah, you UK. went to go teach netball or something like that, did you? <laughs> yeah. Or, for, Getting paid to go on Kentucky and yeah. just travel around. It was amazing. Um, and then I came back to Australia after a year or so over there and had this crazy obsession for hotels. I always have done, I don't know, like I've been fortunate enough to do so much traveling in my life and I wanted to be a GM of a hotel and I knew that business was obviously the underwriting um, kind of degree or piece of paper that I would need in that field so I went I don't know if you know the castle on the hill in Manly um, the International College of Management yeah Yeah, Yeah. so I went there Um, it was like being at boarding school really you can't have friends you have to wear a uniform it's all very kind of strict. Um, and is it focused on hospitality? No, it's, it's it, management. you know, at the time it was um, Macquarie University. So my degree okay. is Macquarie University degree. Um, but I specialised in hosp- like hospitality and hotel management. Because hotel man- there's some top hotel management schools in Yeah, in it's Australia. like Billy Blue and the Blue Mountains yeah. one. Yeah, that's the one. Yes. My friend actually went there. I've oh, been there. I've amazing. Been there. Yeah. yeah, amazing. So that was, I guess, what I wanted to do. Um, I was working at Sheraton on the Park at the time. Um, and Hugo's actually. Really? <laughs> yes. You would have seen me. <laughs> yes. Um, so the good old days. And then I guess um, my first role out of uni was, you know, completely off course, um, uh, completely not on that um, hospitality train at all. Um, and I, I landed my first job as a marketing assistant um, in a really big tech company and I was ending – I ended up doing all of the B2B execution of their digital marketing for Beats by Dr. Dre, Samsung, Nokia at the time, um, Huawei, how old, Jabra. How old were you at this point? I was straight out of uni, so I was 21. I finished school early. I was only 17 when I finished school um, when I did year 12. So did you get kicked out or you were super smart? <laughs> I was just young for my year. I started oh, school okay. when I was four <laughs> instead of five. Um, well, your parents must have thought very highly of you. <laughs> I think they were just sick of me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I I landed that job and I think that was really pivotal to where I am now because it it kind of steered me on this path that I never thought that I would be on. Um, I was fully immersed in, you know, some of these huge tech brands with, you know, global marketing campaigns and huge budgets and, um, you know, I was – I basically learned everything on the job. Um, One of the biggest things, I guess, that – that role um, taught me was I was um, I was in that business when Ingram Micro bought out Brightpoint Australia, which was um, you know a really large buyout, and obviously in that came a lot of lessons, a lot of a lot of key learnings um, in terms of how the integration into the bigger company went. Um, which was quite pivotal to where I am now. And, yeah, from there I had a number of other roles, kind of worked my way up that kind of corporate ladder with regard to marketing. Um, it was nowhere near as diversified with, you know, in the digital space back then as it is now. But many years later I, I actually saw my dream job come up on Seek 
and at the time LinkedIn wasn't really a big thing. LinkedIn jobs wasn't really a big thing and I saw it and it was the um, e-commerce and digital manager for Reebok Australia and New Zealand. That's a pretty yeah. big job. Yeah. So, they needed five years more experience than what I had. I think it was 10 years experience at the time I had five. And I'm a real gym sport person. This is like my, it was my dream job. Anyhow, I got an interview, went in there, can't actually even remember the first interview at all. I just remember talking to the general manager, Carl Polman at the time and walking into the True Alliance office in Alexandria and just kind of being blown away by all these fancy brands Anyway, I had my first interview. I can't really remember much about it. I was invited back for a second and I just knew I had to blow their socks off. So I came up with this um, really intensive 12 months digital and e-commerce strategy. Um, Pre-done, so you've done the strategy. I'd done everything. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I'd done everything. Um, was ready to go. Um, and I walked into that job interview and I, I basically answered a few questions that they had and I kept referring to this document that I had sitting on the table, like bound up for everybody, the panel. And anyway, we ended up getting to go through it and I basically just started explaining the story about how I grew up in, you know, little mini Reebok pumps and kind of, you know, told that story as well and got the job, um, <laughs> which was crazy. Um, but it was just epic it was it was honestly epic working for the true alliance brand house so, so what was your responsibility so i looked after all of the e-commerce um so the entire e-commerce store for australia and new zealand um as well as all of the digital marketing strategy and execution across australia and new zealand oh my for god that is brand. absolutely huge and you were very young at that work yeah. you're still very young so <laughs> can I imagine then you were it was extremely it young. was unbelievable i mean i had an amazing team um that we worked with we were a very lean team but everyone was incredibly hands-on um we were all extremely passionate um you know we we lived and breathed the brand. You know, we'd go rock climbing for team bonding. It was just, it was amazing. And and how did you manage being um, at such a young age, the top of that, mm. you know, the, the marketing manager, the boss of, yeah. of a group of people? Had you had experience doing that before or was it something you very much had to learn just kind of as you – you know, learn yeah. with the role. I hadn't been a digital or, or marketing manager to date at that point. Um, and I guess the one thing that was so incredible in that environment, the True Alliance brand house at the time, they had 17 brands under their umbrella. And there was this amazing head of digital, his name was Tim Knight. He's a very good friend of mine to this day. And he was kind of acted as my mentor from the beginning. He knew everything that there was to know about the True Alliance business, the Reebok business internationally, as well as obviously the key tactics from an e-commerce perspective that were a bit more technical or a bit more tactical that I may have you know been you know exposed to previously and I just learnt on the job as quickly as hard as fast as I possibly could and it was an amazing journey it was yeah it was incredible what were some of the key lessons you've you, you took from from management of people in that role particularly as a younger manager you just have to listen so much <laughs> like stop talking and just listen sometimes and just just watch and learn and just dive headfirst into numbers and I guess ask questions as much as you can and 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 leverage the people around you. Like one of the most incredible things about being in a business of that size and then a brand of that size that has like obviously an international brand house overseas is that there are so many people who can help you and who want to help you, who've been there and they've done that before. Um, 
And so that would probably be my biggest key learning. I mean, at the end of that journey with Reebok um, and the reason that it did end at that time was um, Adidas Group actually took back Reebok as a subsidiary. They, Australia and New Zealand was one of the last markets that they did that with. Did you um, know that? They actually, yeah, they actually own Reebok. Um, yeah, so um, my job was being relocated to Melbourne within the Adidas Group and so one of my biggest um, projects to date was essentially the integration and the migration of the Reebok e-commerce platform into Demandware, which is a platform that Adidas Group used uh, still use, uh, I think, at the time. And um, some pretty serious stuff you've. It was. You've done. We're going to have to epic. get you looking at Cubs marketing strategy. <laughs> no, really, I think you should. Because, We're already talking about it. Yeah, we need to. We need to. <laughs> we clearly need to push that forwards because, as you know, we we need to seriously do some work on our marketing. But, <clears throat> but, I mean, what I've taken so far from this is, thank fuck, you did not stay in hotels. Yes. Because you'd be. Absolutely screwed right now. Yeah. <laughs> marketing, particularly digital marketing, was definitely the right direction to, Absolutely. to, fall, to fall into. I didn't ask how you fell into it, but that's just the right way to go. And, yeah. And so when did you end up with um, uh, True Alliance or, or, or Reebok? Where did you go after um, that? So I ended up um, not moving to Melbourne at the time. I just bought a property in Sydney and Melbourne wasn't the place for me just then. So I stepped away from the True Alliance and the Reebok and added us business and I actually moved over to London. And I guess that's where Ask Marketing um started eventuating as I was doing a lot of consultancy work remotely from there. And I guess, you know, that's really the birth of Ask Marketing or or, or the original Ask Marketing, which was essentially um, more of a consulting-based business. And then um, after living over in London for a little while, I actually had the opportunity to come back to the True Alliance business. So they were actually restructuring the way that their digital business and the way their e-commerce and marketing management worked for their 17 brands within their brand house. And they basically were elevating what was my old role, which was an e-commerce and and digital manager role, into... um, they were basically nominating categories of digital business managers. So I ended up taking up that role for their luxury, uh, for their premium luxury brands, which at the time was Lacoste, um, Ugg and Coach. Yeah. And so um, I kind of moved back to Australia, stepped straight back into that role, which was epic because I was, I already obviously already knew the people, I knew the team, I knew my boss, I knew obviously the senior leadership guys. And um, yeah, I kind of, I'm, I'm quite a loyal person, so the thought of going back there was really exciting to me. So I, um, yeah, that was kind of my next step. So when did you become take the leap and and decide? Well, I'm I'm doing. I'm, I'm clearly smart and I'm clearly ambitious. I should be doing my own business. So I should go out on my own. When, when how did that happen? I think was it something you were thinking about the whole time, or was it something that just happened? Like, oh, I, I could do kind this. Kind of. I mean, I had asked marketing in the background. I think I always knew that that's what I wanted because I am. I do love to travel, and I do love to kind of you know not being confined to a bubble like the corporate space. I knew wasn't my long term plan. Um, but after I kind of went through a series of those roles, I actually went from the corporate side into a fast growth tech startup working for the right fit, um, with one of your other members, Taryn Williams. And yes. And I guess that was kind of my last role, um, prior to me taking up Ask Marketing full time. And I guess that's kind of where Virtual Marketing Manager was born because essentially there became this realization for me that, you know, SME business owners need and crave the same level of senior marketing strategy and guidance that their corporate counterparts do. Yet they don't have 110 to 150K for the salary. 
plus all of the roles beneath that to actually do the execution. So it kind of was this aha moment of, you know, small businesses need a strategy. They need a level of strategic guidance and senior leadership of someone who's been there, done that, but they're not always going to be able to afford that person. Um, and they may value having that role in house or, uh, you know, as you know, partly in house. So it's, that's kind of how. And do, do you think that being with Taryn at, at the right fit mm-hmm. and seeing, an, uh, I guess, a, another young, powerful businesswoman yes. do her thing, do you think that inspired you a bit? You're like, oh, shit, Absolutely. Absolutely. It certainly instilled that the work ethic that's needed to run your own show is tenfold to what your corporate job was. It's, you oh, know, do you reckon? Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, and I, like, I'm, you know, not, not shy of working hard. And I think going from that corporate space into, you know, a fast growth tech startup just made me realize heavens. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole nother <laughs> There level. is no rest for the wicked. Yeah. Um, and and you've got to be stress. ready to move quickly. Yeah. And there's a, yeah, lot, there's more a stress. lot more stress. I had a conversation yesterday with Alice from Cubby. Yes, Alice. yes. And we we're talking about like particularly in times like this when, when you, you know, when you go into the position you're in now and you, you're the business owner and you've got a team and you've got people rely on you. Some of the hard, like one of the hardest things is that you almost have to give so much of your energy and your emotion to your team. And so even mm. if you're run down, you feel horrible and you didn't sleep and, you know, it's looking like we're going back into lockdown and all this bullshit's <laughs> yeah. happening and, job yeah. getting, you know, and, and you're not feeling good. You somehow still have to find this energy, this like inspiration, just this emotion really yes. to like kind of give Absolutely. to your, your team. And then that, like I, I think that that is what, that's probably the hard – I don't know. I, I'm just talking absolute shit here. But I don't know if it's the hardest thing, if it's one of the hardest things, but I, it yeah. is definitely a hard thing. Definitely. That, that feeling of, well, I have nothing left in me and then I've got to find a whole lot to give to Drive the team. another yeah, yeah. group of people and totally. to, keep, to keep everything going. Totally. That's very tiring. And that's something that the corporate role would never – no. You don't have that. It's not a it's not no. needed. It's I mean, I did I I did find even when I was corporate, I never really switched off, so to speak, but you can put it to bed when you go to sleep. Like you will yeah. be thinking about it, but now But there's someone above, hey, this is your you know, yeah. you, it's not really people aren't relying directly on you. No. And it's not it's not you that's losing if it loses. It's, no, it's a, absolutely. A different absolutely. And, and then tell us uh, I mean, you, you provided the the issue or the problem for the need of your business so well. It's the fact that uh, SMEs can't afford um, or may not be able to afford uh, big fancy marketing managers. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, um, they do need, like especially in times like this where yes. digital marketing has become so complex, they do need that that uh, strategy and that level of experience and yes. someone to actually manage it for them. And what you've done is you said, hey, listen, we'll give you that uh, level of expertise, which of course you've accumulated through your mm. career. Um, but we'll give it to you in, in a, at an affordable cost mm-hmm. uh, and we will actually help – is it right to – you'll help manage their – if they do have a junior marketer or an implementer in action or, yes. or, or outsourced people, that you will do that? You will yeah, manage correct. those people? Yeah, So I don't know if you knew, know this, but as of this year, the the average salary for digital marketing manager in Australia is 110K. Yeah, we, we it, just went through the whole process. Okay, so yeah. So it's – yeah, so that's that's as of this year. Um, and obviously for an SME organisation that is – if it is feasible, it might be feasible if they don't have a layer of, of um, you know, executional help underneath that. Um, but again, then you – 
essentially are bringing in probably the most overpaid marketing assistant that you're going to get because you're paying 110 or 120, 30, 40, 50K for a digital marketing manager. But the reality is they're going to spend all of the time in the weeds, which is fine if they can manage their time well and there's not kind of, you know, that whole um, kind of thing needed. But it, it is really tough. So coming back to what you asked, yeah, so it it, it really depends. So if the business um, doesn't have somebody internal, we do that. We will do that recruitment. We know what to look for. We've been there. We've oh, done you do that. The, I was going to go on yeah, question. So we you do can that. help them find the person to work absolutely. with you to implement. Yeah, stuff. absolutely. So three out of the four roles that we've hired just in the last few months have been of the title digital marketing specialist or digital marketing coordinator roles, um, which typically sit um, anywhere from, you know, two to three or four years out of, you know, uni or TAFE. Or, and how much or are they costing? Anywhere between seven, uh, around 70, I'll say. And okay. that can be prorated down to a, you know, a one, two or three day a week basis and scaled up as okay. the business grows. Um, but it essentially means that we are able to provide that same level of senior leadership that, an internal marketing manager would do to that internal junior resource yeah. and act as the link essentially between the senior leadership team and the person doing the execution. So we kind of connect those dots. So I would deal with you. Yeah. And you'd give me all the marketing data, stats, figures. Correct. And then I would work and train and develop your junior marketing coordinator to do the execution of everything that you need. And have any of those new uh, clients of yours you mentioned, have any of them been CUB members or yes. any, any of them are CUB members? Yeah, three in the last couple of months. Oh, no way. Three, three of the yeah. four. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 not of the three, not of the four <laughs> internal resources, but yeah, three, but in, three. The, in the last oh, that's couple pretty of months. Cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah. do you think that's because it's very needed now that businesses are looking for a cost-effective way to have great marketing, obviously in a, Absolutely. a financially um, screwed up time? That Absolutely. We're Cool. Totally. And so tell me then more about how it works because um, how does the relationship – I mean how many people can you hold, right? Because you can, how many customers can you have? You can't have too many because then aren't you spread too thin? Well, we can because we actually have a team of virtual marketing managers who have similar but also, um, you know, specialist areas so of marketing. So – um, for example, my particular specialty is in the MarTech space, so sh like the strategy and the marketing technology side. Mm -hmm. Another virtual marketing manager, for example, is in another space and another space and so on and so forth. And do you have – so do <coughs> I have one virtual marketing manager? Is that just you or do I have a virtual marketing manager? It's all of you. You have the same virtual marketing manager ongoing. However, because you're obviously with us as a client, you get access to all of those people and all of those expert needs. So it's kind of like having – a network of people and obviously our network further to that as well to help you and to recommend things to you and to steer you in the right direction. So That's pretty cool. Mm. That's very cool. Thanks. <laughs> and do you think that the – because this isn't really done. Like I, I mean you mm. know I've been through the whole marketing manager finding, yeah. looking, firing, yeah. backwards flipping, all yes. sorts of things um, over the past even two years. I would, I would say two years. Yeah. Um, and it is ex extremely hard, but but I've never I never I had never come across a business that does mm. what you do. It doesn't exist until Calvin, your membership manager, yes, um, said, "Hey, maybe we should speak to Ali." <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess it, I mean it doesn't exist. I mean I I've been living on and off in London six months on six months off for the last four years and did a lot of research and, a, you know, really kind of deep dove into the industry, um, not just in Australia but also in Europe. 
and there are a handful of people who are using the terminology virtual marketing management. They, but they're kind of throwing it around like a third limb, a third arm. You know, they're not really sure what to do with it, and it's typically being done by an agency, which is obviously kind of extremely different to the, to the the traditional agency model. So it's it's not being done, um, in my opinion, well, if at all, in Australia. Um, so there. But it was a thing in the UK. You said it is being done, um, but it's being done by marketing agencies, which um, I would argue is probably not the best type of business to be doing virtual marketing management because it's not their typical model. Yeah, I've had I've I've had negative experiences. <laughs> I've had some good experiences, mm. but as a whole, I've had. Um, not the best experiences with um, marketing agencies. Mm. There are definitely some that I've had great experiences mm. with, but as a whole. And there's definitely a place for them. You know, this is the thing with marketing is that there's never a one-size-fits-all model. Mm-hmm. I would never walk into a room and say, you need an agency, you need an internal team, or you need a virtual marketing manager. There's so many factors. Um, but as you know, the flip to that was that, as you know, I, I chose the path of bringing – a marketing manager in internally. Yes. We could afford it and a um, sales system is is just so incredibly good that I knew that the effect it was going to have. Um, why would someone – so, I, I mean, the question is mm-hmm. if you can afford to do that and you know the effect that X amount of leads is going to have if yes. you throw it down your sales funnel, yes, is that when you would choose to go – to have someone internally as opposed to doing the virtual thing? It really depends. I think there's a number of different factors. The first thing is resourcing is hard. We all know that. You know, you, you mean money? You know, like resourcing the, in, with regard to finding the right fit. You know, with, Oh, for your team? Yeah. For, oh, yeah, that's the worst. That that's is the, the hardest, hardest thing in business, part. period. But it's the hardest thing. It's uh, Resourcing is also hard in resourcing to find the right agency. So to find the right model for you, I guess there's a few key factors. And I think um, – you know, they need to be looked at really closely amongst the team. I think the first thing to look at is obviously what the business goals are. That is the most important thing. Um, you and know. What, so just when, examples yeah. of business goals because yeah. a couple of things I want to ask you yeah. is how to build a strategy because yes. I know you can do that very well. Yeah. So we want to run through a brief strategy building. Okay, cool. but, but when you say you understand your business goals. Yes. A lot of listeners or like even me and a lot of business owners would be like, okay, well, I want to grow. You know, is that what you mean or do you mean like, okay, how specifics of growth, what percentage of your leads are converting into sales? The specifics are really important. So understanding from, you know, the business goal side of things, where is going to move the needle? So if, for example, you need to be, you know, laser focused on retention, for example, or you need to be laser focused on the acquisition side with a specific number at a certain um, for example, bringing in a certain average order value, whatever that goal may be is obviously going to be really critical in making the decision as to how the how the marketing team is structured. And mm-hmm. also, I guess, how to get to those goals. So, for example, if the strategy is to focus on retention, for example, and not necessarily acquisition, so repeat business and loyalty instead of new customers in the door, then your strategy and the tactics to get there are going to be very, very different. However, what I would say is that from, you know, most businesses these days are going to have some element of always on marketing. So, for example, for you guys, that's LinkedIn throughout your membership managers and your people and it's, the and it's you know, your organic social media on Instagram, for example. 
So that is your always on activity. And that always on activity from my opinion and from my experience is always best done in-house. That person doesn't necessarily need to be full-time. That person doesn't necessarily need to be a senior marketing manager, excuse me, but that person is best from my opinion placed in-house. And the reason for that is the time that it takes you as a business to translate the everyday doings of the business, the passion, the values, the the fun, the the little things that happen, the messaging, you know, everything, the time that it takes you to translate that to somebody else and for them to then learn that, pick that up and then execute it, you may as well have done it yourself. Yeah, And it's so cost effective to have that done in-house. So that's another thing that you need to. Just to clarify, Mm. always on. It can really be any marketing medium that you're constantly using to communicate. Correct. To communicate the everyday happenings of the business to make potentials or current customers feel in the loop. Mm -hmm. So anything that's constant, Mm -hmm. any way you're communicating to the public, it needs to be in-house. Yes. I think the strategy of that obviously can be done a number of different ways. And this is why, you know, we're talking about there's there's three different options or to date there have been three different options. There's been the traditional agency model, then there's been the freelancer model, and then there's obviously the um, fully in-house model. Our model is different again, which is essentially a hybrid model. It's not 100% in-house. It's not 100% outsourced. So, and I think this is also important to touch on is that that strategic part if that person or that business um, can understand your, as you know, the CEO's overarching goals, as I said, where the needle needs to be moved, what, you know, um, <clears throat> specific things need to be hit in terms of targets or goals or objectives, then the person who builds that strategy, as long as they understand that and then they have an incredible understanding of the digital landscape and what's working as well as your budget, that can be done, done any of those three ways that I just mentioned, either in-house outsourced. Yeah, there's no one way to success method. for no. anything. But if you could choose a better way and you want to go that one and if, yeah. if, if your model works best for, for businesses but they don't yes. know that it exists or that they don't even know it's a thing, yes. well, then, you know, they're missing out on, on, on potentially having the same result as doing an in-house at a half the cost yeah. or of of having a 50% better result at the same cost of using an agency. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's always this success, but you want to yes. choose the best of one. Of course, of course. And so when it comes to building a strategy then, yes. so, and we can use Cub as an example, we can use some of your mm-hmm. clients as an example. Mm-hmm. I love talking about Cub, so we, we normally use that. But how do you, what's the process to creating a strategy? Obviously I'm not expecting you to sit down and, and do a full strategy yes. with me, but just give me some high level <laughs> stuff, like high level things about how to build a strategy or at least how to think yeah. about it. I think the first thing that we do with every, um, with every client is we do what we call a tactical workshop. And that workshop is always with the senior leadership team and or anyone that they have already in the business doing their marketing. And that tactical workshop and the goals of that workshop are to really underpin everything that we do from a strategic perspective moving forward. So we go through the business's overarching goals, as we talked about before, where's going to um, move the needle for you? What's the most important thing for the business? Where some of the incremental opportunities are, where the low hanging fruit is. In that workshop, it's really important, I guess, also to build out any of the, um, the the customer personas that are important to your business. So based on your target market, we deep dive into those even further and understand not just the demographics, but the behavioral um, components, you know, what these people want, the challenges, the, the hurting points for them, what's going to motivate them to 
to do business with you and for what reason. So the customer personas are another key part. But so would so what would come first? Your your um goal or your customer persona? Both. Both come at the same time. Yeah. They're both in the tactical workshop. Both. So they're there at the start. You yeah. They're before to... you do the strategy. Okay. Before you do the an, strategy. An example of a goal. Because okay. I feel like that's almost half the half yes. the battle is figuring yes. out what you actually want. Totally. So if you're to look at Cub, um currently we only we don't really do marketing. We only use LinkedIn, like you yes. said, um, to generate new new members. Yes. And that's almost free for us because mm-hmm. we're reaching out to potentially eligible mm-hmm. business owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're the fast-growing members club for business owners too. So we're already, it's already growing. It's already yes. working. So perhaps if we were going to spend our resource uh, money on marketing, mm-hmm. we'd say, well, look, our goal is actually we want to be the most recognized brand for accomplished entrepreneurs in the country. So we want to do some brand – So the money we want to spend marketing, want some of that to go to the brand building. Mm-hmm. And we also like long-term uh, yeah. recurring revenue and profits. Therefore, yeah. we need um, to maintain and improve our retention rates. Yes. So the, I guess the goal of the marketing would be to improve retention rates and to build the brand. Amazing. The, so what you've just described is the very top and the very bottom of the marketing funnel. So if you think of marketing as a funnel, right? Mm-hmm. The very top, you've got brand awareness. Then you move into interest where somebody has heard about your brand and they become interested in it. Then you've kind of got this optional um, level of the funnel, which is called research and registration. By the way, these are all called different things in different businesses, but research and registration, which is where somebody, for example, would give you their email address and you capture their information, which Mm -hmm. means you can then, you know, continue talking to them and, and then convert them. Then at the bottom of the funnel, you've got activation, which is essentially where the transaction happens. They become a customer. And then you've got reactivation at the bottom, which is around loyalty and repeat business. So what you've just described is, um, you know, the brand awareness piece sits at the very top. It's obviously one of the most cost effective, um, you know, broad, you know, broader reach, really quite educational. Doesn't create your values. No, not necessarily. However, the content, and that's obviously something that we should really talk about, and the content that you're using at the top of your funnel about your business um, I think, you know, it would be almost worth talking about that as a separate pillar because I think the way that that's changing since the COVID-19 pandemic has also really kind of shaped what businesses are doing now as well. Um, but that that brand awareness piece at the very top and the reactivation piece at the very bottom have two very different, um, I guess, areas and scopes with regard to the tactics that are being used and where the money needs to be spent. For example, you know, to throw an idea out there, you know, a key retention strategy um, or reactivation strategy at the bottom of the funnel can be email marketing. For example, you know, you've got a thousand members, um, you know, their average um, lifetime value for you is X amount of dollars and it could be three years and you want to increase that to five years or ongoing, for example, um, you know, forever, forever locked in. Um, yeah. So, you know, email marketing is a really, um, you know, key tactic there, but what I'm trying to get to is that, for example, email marketing in the reactivation space is completely different to the tactics that you would use in the brand awareness space, which could be more like organic social yeah, media. One, one, sorry. Yes. <coughs> one is literally teaching people about the business and what you stand for. So ours would be like, Cub, we stand for Australian entrepreneurs. You know, that's yes. if you want to know Cub, it's a business family that that is trying to improve the entrepreneur journey for Australian entrepreneurs. For any entrepreneur, this is our niche. This is who we serve currently, but we stand for all business owners. And then that would be the brand piece, 
Well, would it though? Because the brand piece, I would almost say that there needs to be something more educational prior to that. Because the, the reality is somebody at the top, if you're, if you're thinking about the funnel, brand awareness is where somebody is open to or searching for information. Mm-hmm. They may not be searching information. They could just be scrolling through their LinkedIn. They could just be sitting at a bus stop. So what would you what, So what, what, what I'm be? saying is that messaging that you just said about Cub, yes, that is your brand messaging and your overarching USP or your strap line. However, what engages them at a brand awareness level is not that. It's something of value that you can add to their day, a blog, an educational piece about why networking is so epic when you're starting a business, Um, why it's all about the people you know and not about what you know. You know, it's, it's these kind of educational plays and those key categories of information and content really form the backbone or should form the backbone of your content strategy. These podcasts, perfect example. So people are like, oh, I like this brand because it teaches yes. me things. Yeah, and then at the point where they become interested in your services, that's when you introduce to them the business principles and your strap line and your unique selling proposition. Okay, very cool. So we'd focus there mm-hmm. and then we'd focus at the bottom. We're building out is, the strategy, are we? Okay. Yeah, we well, I'm doing, <laughs> this just is trying perfect. to give it some peace so the <laughs> listeners can sit there and be like. Kill two birds with the one stone. Yeah, well, yeah, well, why yeah not? I get a free strategy and <laughs> yeah, the listeners get an done. example. But so you've. You, you choose your goal. What are ex- examples of other goals someone could have with their marketing? Um, to, I mean, there's so many. Um, for example, increase the customer experience mm-hmm. throughout the customer journey could be another one. Or increase the average order value. If you're an yeah. e-commerce so increase business. Increase the average spend. Exactly. So these are, So you, would you have one goal or do you have several goals and one's a priority? Several goals and okay. there can be some priorities. I would almost say that the reality is you'll have some qualitative goals and you'll have some quantitative goals. What's the difference? The difference is one is like extremely explicit with regard to a number that it's measurable. So, for example, I want to increase my average order value from $75 to $77 because it's going to give me X percentage more at the end of the year. However, a qualitative goal, for example, might be to build out all of your email automation for your business for birthday, welcome and and loyalty. Okay. That's the difference. Yep. All the listeners are going to laugh that I did that. (laughs) And, okay, so you've got <laughs> so you've chosen your goals. They're your key goals. That's what your yeah. that's what your strategy is going to be mm-hmm. based on. Mm-hmm. Um, you've really identified your target market, but then you've gone into their personas. Yes. And the dip, you know, the, the different personas in within your target mm-hmm. market. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, just to give examples, yes. Cubs uh, uh, business owners between mm-hmm. the age of twenty eight and fifty mm-hmm. with uh, businesses that have been around for typically three to 15 years mm-hmm. and have revenues of between one and a mm-hmm. hundred million. Yep. Ordinary less one and 50. Mm-hmm. So that's breaking it up. And yes. then the different demographics within, they have young Correct. families, they yep. this, that, whatever. And I think the other important thing to add there is like what you and I were discussing the other day, which is around the attitudes of those people. So within your target markets, pick, for example, two key personas. So the key persona could be me, for example, what, what differentiates me against someone else of my same or similar demographic, my attitude. So a, a cub um, potential member needs to be open-minded and have a, you know, a generous attitude or a generous spirit. Yeah, be generous. Exactly. And so, time, knowledge and so often network. you can categorise people and personify them by their attitudes and their key motivators rather than necessarily their income or their, you know, their, their social status. Okay. So they're the two most important things, I guess. Mm. 
your goal mm-hmm. and your uh, personas. And your yeah. What do you look at then? Okay, is so is it the then, boring part after that where you know you choose a marketing <laughs> and that type of thing? Or no, no, no. So I think at that point, like the next thing that's you know you need to obviously understand your budget. You need to understand, you know, what return you want to get, but most importantly, how much you have to spend and what you want to get for that for that um, for that investment. So at that point, I guess it's really important that you work with somebody who has got a senior level of strategy across the digital space and understands the channels and how they can be best used. And again, and, you know, also most importantly now has a really, really sound understanding of marketing technology because the reality is everyone's now spending less. So they want more for their money and they want to do more for less. And, and I guess automation Martech, and MarTech. Yes. So MarTech is marketing technology. It's the integration of marketing and technology within business, and a lot of incredible, um, a lot of incredible automations and technologies are now coming out, which will enable you to do a lot more for a lot less. Um, so, and like, so what's an example of some MarTechs? Um, so, I mean, we, t- we, t- we talked about something the other day, but you know, there's a whole there's a whole array of marketing technologies. You know, Google Analytics is actually a marketing technology. Okay. For example, all the way through to something like um, HubSpot is also a marketing technology. But if you can go even more granular, for example, like asking questions via a survey, Typeform is a marketing technology. Typeform's the one you've got Cub using now. Yes. That's the, that's, it's incredible. That's what we did the core feedback. It integrates feedback with everything. Line, so. It's I love their slogan. It's not what you ask, it's how you ask it. I love that slogan it's too. It's beautiful because it's sexy and it gives people this amazing experience. Yeah. And, you know, you can use it for acquisition, you can use it for retention. It's it feels good as you're using it and it gives your customer a good experience. But you, you actually did, you hosted a cub conversation, a digital conversation mm. on this topic, no? Yeah, correct. How to use marketing technology to increase your customer conversion, I think was the topic. Is that was the topic? Yeah. How many people, how many uh, members did you have listening to? I, it was booked out. I don't actually know how many people turned was, up on the I day. Know you know how full. on Zoom you have like the yeah, arrows? Yeah. <laughs> no, I know it was full. And, and so what did you, what were the, what were, I mean, what were the ways that you were able to use the MarTech to increase your um, yeah, so I mean, you can use them at different stages of the funnel. So Typeform is a perfect example um, of uh, of a tool that can be used in the acquisition phase and the retention phase. If we talk to retention for ex- uh, for a second, for example, if you know retention and customer experience is important to you as a business, which I know it is, you can integrate Typeform so surveys into your email marketing automation at the bottom of the funnel. So for people like me, for existing members to find out about what they like, what they don't like, what they're expecting, what they would like you to do differently, any suggestions or any ideas. And you can actually start to use Typeform as an automated tool within your email marketing to then collate all of that data and then extrapolate it to, you know, analyze and draw insights. So it's an incredible way um, that, I mean, there's a million and one ways you can run a survey. Survey Monkey, for example. Yeah. However, the way that Typeform and some of these other marketing technology tools now enable you to do it is in a way that is providing the customer an epic experience that ordinarily you wouldn't be doing in sending a survey. You'd be lucky to get a good response rate. Mm. So, it's, and why do you think Typeform gets a better response rate? Because it's the way it's it's, it's so sexy. Mm. It feels good. It's responsive on your mobile. It's quicker. It's completely interactive. You can talk to it. You can, you know, tap on different icons. You can use gamification. It's it's wow. just amazing and it's really cost effective as well. And um so Typeform's one type of MarTech. Mm. What's another one that most people could use? Intercom. What's that? So Intercom is a type of messenger 
website messenger. So there's two different types of website messengers. So for example, you jump onto the iconic to mm-hmm. buy a jumper. You need it tomorrow. You're unsure if you're going to get it. You click on the little icon in the bottom right-hand corner. They could be using intercom. It could be something different, but Intercom's one of the main ones. And you want to chat to them. That is an example of an instant messenger. That's a real person that you're talking to there. And that's what Intercom does. That is what Intercom does. Intercom also has a second part, which is the bot side, which is an automated chat, which is where you can basically preempt the questions. You can create um, like a tree system of like ask this question. If they say yes, take them here. If they say no, take them here. Mm -hmm. If they drop off, say nothing or send them an email later. So there's two different ways you can use Intercom. We use it in the way that is personalised. So they have, a, a, you know, an app. If somebody on comes onto our website now and um, wants to talk to us, we'll reply straight away. Um, we but have so someone, how does it work? Where does it go? Where does it, Who's talking? So if you use the instant messenger side of that, um, of that platform, somebody manually needs to do it. Is someone in our office? In your business. Yeah, or correct. you get an offshore you, exactly. person who t- exactly. you train on what to say. Exactly, correct. So so it's really someone could come to the Cub website, be like, hey, this website says absolutely nothing about how you guys mm-hmm. do or what you do, mm-hmm. which it really doesn't. Mm-hmm. They could go on this thing in the bottom corner, type mm-hmm. how much does it cost, how does it work, how do I, how do I get invited to join. Correct. And then – you know, one of the team or an offshore mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. can reply with the answers. And Correct. Like, okay, well, uh, and I mean, like, it's really, really sophisticated. So, for example, um, we should have that. Do you think that's pretty good? I think I think it it definitely serves a place um, in particular areas. For example, you can actually preset Intercom to trigger to that user on the other end of that website based on their behaviour. So, for example, instead of just having it always popping up for everyone which the reality is is probably not a great user case experience because they don't necessarily always want to talk to someone. They just want to go on and find where you're located in, in King's Cross, mm-hmm. for example. Um, or you could, for example, at the point where they've hit three pages, they've read two blogs, they're on the membership page for more than 30 seconds, that would imply or infer a particular need from that customer. And at that point you could go, hey, trigger the messenger to say X, Y, Z, or you could at that point talk to them as well. So there's ways you can do it and there's ways you can automate it that are smart, which are ba- based on inferred um, interest or, or their behaviours. Um, so you're getting, I guess, the most bang for your buck. And can you do that on – so does Intercom, Intercom actually help you do that? And Correct. So it's quite easy to Correct. set up. It's incredible. So they have a full desktop interface, but then they also have a mobile app as well, which means that if somebody pings the cub, cl- yeah. .club website right now, Laura can reply. Wow. Yeah. So That's pretty it's, mad. Yeah, it's it's sexy and it feels good. So it, it like it feels good for the user. It's great for you guys. It integrates within your business. So it, it will have a native integration with your CRM system, mm-hmm. um, which means you're able to track all of that data and, you know, keep it and draw insights from it. Um, and it's just, you know, that's another good example of, you know, a MarTech tool that's that is industry agnostic as well. What's well, another sexy <laughs> technology you can teach us? Um, okay, so I've got a good landing page tool for you. Love it. It's called Instapage. Everybody needs a good Everyone page. needs a good landing page tool. So Instapage, I-N-S-T-A page.com, Instapage. And Instapage is essentially um, a dynamic landing page creation tool that does not necessarily need a website developer. 
Um, so the best thing about Instapage is that you can plug it into your website domain. So for example, if we wanted um, a landing page that was, you know, a campaign specific landing page, we could plug it into askmarketing.com.au forward slash landing page name. So it's really amazing that you can plug it into your site regardless of the platform that you use on your, for your website. Okay, wait. So, so, so let's say you use WordPress for your mm-hmm. website and this mm-hmm. uh, Instapage mm-hmm. is I don't know, some other one, mm-hmm. it will still be part of your website. So, if, yes. so I, I could say on the podcast right now, uh, go to cub.club forward slash ask marketing to find out more about Ali King and her awesome virtual marketing management Yeah, company. so WordPress is a great example because Instapage has a native integration with Instapage. Um, Instapage, sorry, has a native integration with WordPress. So, for example, if you wanted to create, for example, an amazing new offering for um, members in Melbourne who are prospective, sorry, members in Melbourne who are now thinking about um, joining Cub to get, um, you know, to be privy to a whole heap of digital conversations throughout their next lockdown period for the next six weeks, you could create a tailored landing page um, using Instapage and plug it into your cub.club website forward slash Melbourne lockdown um, in a matter of minutes. You know, it's it's amazing. You don't need to be a website developer to do it. Does it help you with that thing um, with uh, – excuse my stupidity when it yeah. comes to this type of stuff. <laughs> I, I know what it is. I just don't know how to say it. <laughs> yeah, the, the split page land – you know, when you, you test – which landing AB page? Testing. A, yeah, yes. AB testing. Yes. It will it allow do you, that? It helps yes. you. It helps you do that. Yeah, it helps you do that. And the other thing is, it uses, it recommends some amazing templates. They call them global blocks. So, for example, if the um, the goal of that particular, I mean, the thing is with goals, if we take it uh, with landing pages, sorry, if we take a step back, the goal of a landing page is to get the user to perform an action. You don't just have a landing page with a bunch of information and no call to actions. Mm-hmm. So, typically the landing page is at, if you're thinking about the funnel for a second, it's the middle of the funnel. It's driving a registration or an activation, i.e. they're giving you their email address or they're making a purchase. Yeah, so they've learned, you gave them value. Yes. They looked in your company, they learned your services, Correct. they needed it, now yeah. they're on the landing page. Exactly, so they're on the landing page. So back to these global blocks I was talking about is if, for example, the objective of that landing page is to get uh, a Melbourneite to sign up for this particular deal, the goal of that landing page would be to either, you know, submit their email address to be then followed up, um, which you could then automate, or to transact on that landing page. So they will, based on your goals for that landing page, help you to design it. So it's extremely interactive. Wow. Like someone non-marketing, non-creative could do it and it still look re- like really beautiful. So it's um, it's Insta an epic tool. Instapage.com. That's incredible. Yes. These little tricks are worth so much. Like just I hope not, everyone just, just goes and like. Knowing about them. They are. And then they're all going to go to askmarketing.com.au <laughs> to send you a thank you message. I think, thank you. I think, um, you know, one thing that is important to note is like marketing technology as um, an area of marketing, it's not something that you should just dive head into and start integrating all these tools. You really need a roadmap. You really need to understand your technology as a stack what talks to one another. I mean, one of the key things that we do within our marketing strategies, um, and we actually did this really recently with one of your other Cub members, um, who's in a really complex one of beta. Our other Cub members. Yes, one We're of our other Cub members, who's actually got a really complicated, um, you know, B2B business, is um, build out their marketing ecosystem. So that includes, and by that I, I, I literally mean, their ecosystem. It looks like a drawing. So from the top lead in 
all the way to the very bottom, which is lead out or repeat business, how they practically get there, what technologies are being used, what technology and or what tool is capturing their information or their journey at every single stage within that journey. So for example, at the top of the funnel, you've got, for example, for this client, it was like LinkedIn sales navigator, LinkedIn organic, and then you go move all the way down the funnel. And then you've got things like HubSpot and then you've got um, Typeform and then you've got HubSpot again, and then you've got MailChimp. And then you've got, for example, all the way down, but you're being explicitly clear about what tool is capturing what, for what purpose, and then what it leads to. Because otherwise what you do if you end up just integrating all these tools is if you've got a bunch of tools, half of them don't talk to each other, you're paying a lot in subscriptions and you're not actually so sure what the objective is. And how do you get them integrated? Is. You need someone to help you. Well, you, you need someone like me. You need somebody who understands MarTech and you need somebody who understands from a strategic perspective where the gaps are and where the priorities lie. Because I think for a lot of SMEs who do dive headfirst into this is they end up, as I said, with a whole bunch of tools and some of them are doing things and other things that doing other things and they're not really sure what does what. So you should prioritise. And what are some, on the topic of the landing page, mm -hmm. what are some things that if someone is designing a landing page mm -hmm. that they should make sure he's on the landing page or what yeah. are three ways to make a great landing page? Okay, so I think first of all it needs to be on brand. So, for example, if someone non-marketing, as I was saying, could build an Instapage landing page, like please make sure that it's aligned with your brand, make sure the logo is correct, make sure the logo is high resolution, make sure the imagery is on brand. You know, yeah. basic things like that go Laura, a long way. Me and Laura made that mistake once. <laughs> things like that go a long way. You know, the, the, the story and the brand needs to feel, you know, it can't feel in disingenuous. The, mm -hmm. the user needs to go, oh, this is seamless. Yep. And if they're not thinking. I'm on the Cub website. Ex exactly, yep. exactly. So it needs to feel streamlined. The second thing is making sure that your core message is clear and above the fold. So on a desktop, before someone scrolls down, on a mobile, again, it will be different, but before someone scrolls down. But how do you identify what your core message is? And th this is actually something that it's, it's so important to talk about. Your core message is often different from the user need. So what I mean by that is, for example, if you are trying to sell a, a discounted package for your Melbourne prospective members that's 50% less than the usual sign-up rate. Um, we don't discount. <laughs> I'll, let you, I'll I let you play on this. For I know you do Okay, so for example, okay, so for example, say that you did and you and at the top of that landing page, you would say from a business perspective, um, no offence, you might say, for example, 50% uh, off Cub memberships this month. What does that tell the user? Okay, great, there's a discount. Straight away that's probably going to like lose a little bit of value about your brand, but that's not actually what the user needs to know. The user actually, their user case scenario or their need as a business owner could be, um, for example, um, networking opportunities and relationships um, at your fingertips for 50% less this month, for example. So you need to kind of really reverse engineer your core message to be the user's need. Otherwise, and then if you you're want to just, add something at the end to entice them, like absolutely. a discount, for example, you can do that. Absolutely, yeah. And then the third key thing, so we've got the branding, we've got the key messaging, and then the third thing is the call to action. And again, the call to action needs to be explicitly clear, explicitly easy, and it needs to lead them somewhere that, you know, takes them on that journey that's easy for them to check out or easy for them to register um, after and the And the fact. call to action is, I mean, I know this is fairly basic business mm -hmm. stuff, but like even for me, like... Mm -hmm. 
um, um, just re, you know rehearing, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of reciting the, the fundamentals of things mm. like this. You're like shit. Yeah, like so, so basic, is, but yeah, but like you need yeah. it. You know, like it's things you've got to refresh yeah, so your, your mind with sometimes. So true. Uh, and call to action could be like. Again, depends on the objective. But for example, if can I tell you a, a call to action that I hate when companies what? do when they're like, "Oh, sign up today and have a free." Um, um, oh shit! What's the word they use? Um, trial? Yeah, like a, no, not a trial, but like a free consultation to find out how crap your website is currently. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, like, well, I know it's not free. You're just gonna, even if it was good, you're gonna tell me shit so you could sign me up. Like, totally. I mean, there I there those. is a place for those, and I think in the consulting space, um, you know, doing a free consult with somebody to understand their business and giving them some free tips, regardless if it leads to something more or not, it does add value to that person. So I think there is a place for that, but I think the call to action needs to be extremely clear and back to the objective. So, for example, if you know that no one is going to sign up to Cub without hearing and, you know, without knowing how amazing it is and, you know, basically, um, you know, hearing from from some other members or understanding how many members there are, what the facilities are like, et cetera, et cetera, then the call to action on that landing page um, could be something like learn more because you know that you're going to automate a process after that um, to provide the people with that information and nurture them through the so, journey. So it could be like, uh, you know, apply today to discover exactly how you can benefit from our community of leading Australian Correct. entrepreneurs. So, for example, the goal for that landing page would actually be in the middle of the funnel, which is kind of the registration point, i.e. submits an email address. And submits an email address um, as a goal, submitting an email address, I should say, is a much lower barrier entry than, and it's going to cost you a lot less, than someone actually transacting. So, mm. you know, then them putting in their credit card details essentially. So you just need to make sure that that call to action is explicitly clear, whether it's learn more or buy now. It needs to be obvious. Very obvious. And again, beside the message, the core message, above the fold. I mean, you can obviously have a lot of different call to actions throughout the page, but coming back explicitly to the purpose of a landing page, we're not on the services page of your website. We're not on the about us page of your website. We're not on the testimonials. Those pages might have a different call to action because they're, you know, they're nurturing the user through that customer journey to the conversion point. On the landing page, you know, it needs to be explicitly clear. Um, you know how I can tell you are a marketing wizard? It's because <laughs> at the beginning of the podcast, you're a little bit like more quiet. You're reading your, you're reading the sheet and that type of thing. And then when I got you, when you're talking about the things that you know, I haven't you know even so well, you haven't even looked at it. You just throw it out. It's ruined Waste your whole paper. thing. Yeah, because when you just know your craft, mm. you, you know, I can ask you a question. I even said, you know, well, what are the three ways to improve your, your, your landing page? You just bang, bang, bang. You just know it. It's incredible. I guess them. I don't it's know if they're the right ones, but they're the ones I Hundred percent, they are, and it, it's incredible to see that. I love seeing that. Also, Calvin. Your membership manager. So all members of Cup have a membership manager. So just for the listeners, someone who can who assist them in utilizing the network, so connecting with the, the best possible people and things like that. Um, your membership manager, Calvin, mentioned to me that you've been working on some sort of white paper. I don't know what that mm. means, but some sort of document. <laughs> you've been working with a lot of members on it as well. Or you, yeah. Or, or, what, what is it? Okay, so this is all crazily also happened just pre-COVID and then we spent the last four months working on it really tirelessly. So it's probably one of the biggest investments that we've ever made into the business, but we basically have done this huge white paper or big rock is another LinkedIn term for what it's called. It's basically an end-to-end 
piece of, um, you know, document, a document essentially or a thesis, I guess you could call it, um, based on a conversation that you want to own. So the conversation that we are owning in the Australian marketplace is virtual marketing management and why business leaders are turning to that. So this white paper that we've done essentially um, deep dives into all of the global um, macroeconomic trends, both internationally and then also in Australia. And then it looks at some of um, the trends within the marketing space, both for um, you know larger businesses and for SMEs with a real focus on SMEs and why um, you know the, the, the options available to them in terms of how they do their marketing and how that has shifted post-COVID. So Basically, yeah, in answer to your question, we've really leveraged CARB as a network and we've interviewed um, over 100 CEOs um, of SMA organisations, uh, a large percentage of, the, of those being CARB members, around what they were doing with their marketing and how it was being run um, prior to COVID, how COVID has impacted that in terms of their budgets, their priorities um, and the way that it's structured and how they're planning to use it in the future to basically give us the best understanding of how our business model can serve businesses on the on So the you really just did a very in-depth um, research. Market exer- research. Exercise on why your model is good and, and, and why well, your Well, how to help us shape our model as well. Like I, I think you'd be ignorant to go in there and just go in there trying to prove your point that you already have. Rather mm. we've gone in there with um, – Open mind. Uh, yeah, an open mind to make sure that we're building our business around what's actually needed. How long did that take you? Four and a half months. Yeah, it would take a while. I, yeah. I've like on and off attempted that, gotten through like – 15 conversations mm. and then forgotten about it and moved on. But it's tough. I, yeah, it is tough. But I think if you commit to it, you can come up yeah. with some of the, like if you did a proper full research into yeah. what your clients need and yeah. want and why you and all that type of stuff. I mean, that primary mark, research side is so important. It's the most important. It is the yeah. most important. Um, other than, uh, other than perhaps, an underst- a personal understanding of the needs of your clients. Like yeah. I am my client and I, yes. I, I really get it kind of mm, thing. Mm. I really think I put that above everything. Um, yeah. Because sometimes you know what your client wants and or you may even know how to give it to them better than they think that they can get yeah. it in some way. For sure. But just to be sure and also to give you more ideas and options. Yes. Doing like I don't know why you call it a white paper for but yeah. doing that is – I mean, as a marketer, it's probably what every marketer should do. Any marketing manager Absolutely. should really do. Absolutely. Or any business owner really who's got 100%. something innovative that they need to test and prove and refine and continually for refine as you go, I think. It's 100%. So it is a very clever idea. No, I think everyone should do that. What would it teach them? Just So what would I learn by reading this white paper? So why business leaders are turning to virtual marketing management. Okay. So if I'm curious about that, if I'm curious about that topic after Mm. this, I can find that paper on your Mm. website on askmarketing.com.au and is there a special tab they have to press or it'll be? Yeah, it'll be under the resources link. Done. Awesome. Everyone should check that out, especially if they're really considering the whole virtual marketing manager thing that, that Ali's been educating us on. And I guess just before we wrap up, um, because uh, Laura's going to start twirling her finger at me soon, <laughs> is um, I, I did want to talk about the whole repeat business marketing thing. Mm-hmm. It's almost something that you never um, kind of hear of. or I mean, I, I definitely don't hear of it much. It's a big thing in our business because obviously <clears throat> our, our business relies on that our members stay. Mm. Mind you, we've never done repeat business marketing. Yeah. Um, so I guess other than emails, like yes. I buy I buy my 
yeah, gym equipment from SMAI, mm-hmm. like a gym company in Wollongong or whatever. I always get their emails like, oh, we've just got this equipment, you know, get your boxing stuff, like blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And that kind of works, but like everyone does email. Like, what, mm-hmm. what else can you do? Like, what's a creative There's way? There's so to get many some, ways. I guess, like, if you come back business. to how you get repetitive business or how you um, create customer loyalty, it's through experience. It's through customer experience. Someone is going to come back to you. I mean, other than, for example, in FMCG, where it's literally just convenient for you to go and buy the same carton of milk from the same convenience store yep. every week. In a service-based business, a person is going to, you know, stay, a, a, you know, a customer of yours if you give them continuous value. And I guess that's where innovation comes in. So it's not necessarily about the tactics that you use, for example, email marketing or text messaging or whatever it is to, you know, you know, as the tactic. But you need to think about from a business perspective, how can I add as much value to this customer as possible because I know it's cheaper for me to do that than get a new one, a new customer. So, you know, and I guess that's where like, you know, and you're so good at this is you talk to your people, you talk to your members, you know, you host think tanks, you're constantly asking for feedback. And that is a perfect example of one, of of a tactic, you know, asking your people and asking your community what they think. It doesn't always have to be positive, but the fact that you've been, that they've been asked makes them think that they're valued. So that's obviously a really key piece. So customer feedback is an, is, is an important thing. Um, we yeah. did, what about the kind of opposite direction? Whereas instead of offering uh, continuous value, okay, yeah, that's true. You have to do that and, mm. and that's good to do that. Mm. But what about the other side where making your customers feel like more to what you said before, valued and feel special? Mm-hmm. Like, you know how we were, um, for the listeners, we, we had a, a, we had about 12 members come to my house last week to have a think tank discussion on the strategic uh, strategic direction Planning, of, yeah. of our club. Yeah, it was awesome. And it was wicked. <clears throat> and one of the things we discussed was what we internally at Cub call the love plan, which is basically to make sure our members know <laughs> that we love them, each of them. That's nice. Yeah, and <laughs> we love it. And yeah. because, I mean, you were in that um, think tank. Yeah. Well, you were in the room and you could hear what members loved so much was, oh, I love it when I get a call from uh, my membership manager, right? Yeah. Basically, they loved feeling special. Yes. And so if maybe businesses, instead of having a continuous value plan or, or in addition to having a continuous value plan and in addition to having a, a feedback plan, mm-hmm. create a love plan. Yeah. Figure out, have a, a way that your your clients are going to um, – feels not just valued yeah. but actually special because when you feel special ah, you're not going to leave. Wasn't it so fascinating how someone, I can't remember, someone on the couch over here said you guys, someone suggested oh, getting a, you know, a wine delivery on their birthday and everyone was like, no, 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 we don't want the wine delivery. We just love when Calvin calls us. Yeah, yeah, they love the call. <laughs> so it's they funny how, you know. I actually disagree with them. We added the <laughs> we added, well, I did I'll take the, the wine as well. We did the call too. So, so yeah. actually what happens now in the club is every single morning mm. we get an email with every single, uh, yeah, an email with yes. every single birthday that's on that day for oh, all wow. the members. So Amazing. across the two clubs because we're not. And then the membership managers of those people mm-hmm. will, will call that member and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, if I'm friends with them too, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll call them as well. But we are also sending presents as well. Okay. Because I think That's that, nice. like, yeah, because I think it's more like a call's great. Yeah. But who gets you, I mean, our concept is be a business family and who yes. gets you presents on your birthday, your family. Yeah. So I think sending them a present is so like. So nice. As, I think members are saying, hey, we don't need any monetary value from Carb. Yeah. Like, I yeah. think that's more what they say. But really still, if you're going to get a present in the mail, Super special. Oh, you're going to be like, oh, wow, that's pretty nice. Totally, yeah. totally. Yeah, I'll go refer. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. No, I love that. Um, and is there anything else you want to say on that or should we move on from that topic? No, I think, you know, the value is probably the most important piece. The, the tactics of how you do that are kind of secondary to, to the value itself. I agree. And basically you're, you're finding out how to give them more value with feedback. Yeah. And you're making them feel special with the love plan. Absolutely. So and even you can if use your value sucks, to ask it. And you can use Martech because <laughs> that's pretty sexy and <laughs> it works. Sexy. I love it. Okay, before we finish, we always ask everyone um, to provide us with or provide the listeners with either a key lesson, a favourite book. Uh, uh, actually, before we get into that, I want to mm. ask you a couple of things about the business. Mm. How much does it cost basically for someone to, like let's say Cub's going to yeah. um, bring you on as, uh, as mm-hmm. a, a VMM? Yeah. Um, how, how much does that cost Roughly, there might okay, be different. So, different yeah, levels. and I mean, and and there are in that situation, there are different levels. So what's the bottom? What's the top? Okay, so for example, um, when any client comes on board with us, as we kind of discussed today, we discuss the first two things, first two project steps that every um, client would go through, which is that tactical workshop, which I discussed, and then the strategy. So that is kind of like the first two components of a roadmap that basically prepares um, the business to be able to use virtual marketing management. That could also include recruitment. So, for example, that, you know, that it's how long is a piece of string, like with anything. However, virtual marketing management as a service, um, it starts from 70% less of the cost of the, having the virtual marketing manager in-house. Um, so, for example, for around 3000 plus GST a month as a you, ballpark minimum, you, you can have you us like. plus our entire network of people yeah. managing your internal resource and acting, acting as that link between the senior leadership team and the internal resource um, doing a minimum of four things a month. So those four things, for example, are running a um, high-level strategy workshop every single month around this time of the month for the next month with the senior leadership team. So, for example, if I'm sitting down with you, you say to me, Ali, heavens, the goal for next month of drastically changing in Melbourne because we've got it locked down, so the, the focus needs to shift to this, this and this. So that's a really high-level operational meeting where we integrate marketing. Wow, it's a constant strategy meeting. Yeah, it's exactly the same as having it. me in-house. Yeah, so every single month around the 15th or the middle of the month, that's what you're doing. That's the first thing that you get as a minimum each month. The second thing is me developing a campaign content plan for that internal resource to execute. Again, exactly the same as I would if I was internal as the marketing, uh, the digital marketing manager. So physically building out the plan for that internal resource with regard to all content for all campaigns for the upcoming month. So the plan Paid for social, that. yeah, exactly. Paid social, everything from budgetary requirements, uh, recommendations to audience building, to email marketing, to content pieces, to frameworks, whatever they need. And again, this is where it comes down to being quite personable and tailored to that internal resource or the business need. Um, that's the campaign content plan. That's the second thing. The third thing is then working with that internal resource to sign off all of those components so that you as the CEO don't have to be going, oh, can you change that in the email or can you can you fix that or oh, that copy's wrong, don't like that image. No, you so don't you touch do that. that. You do the yes. confirmations. We do all of that. We have sign off on everything apart from obviously I reckon the that's my favourite thing so far. <laughs> It's awesome. a lot of people's favorite thing. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I mean, the sign-off comes down to you, but if if we have that sign-off, that's amazing. And then the last thing every month is that we sit down and we analyze all of the data and provide key insights and recommendations to the business, which then take effect immediately for that next month. And so how do you grow your business then? You need to continuously find, because mm-hmm. I know you're signing up clients like crazy. And mm. I, 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 I've seen you before. We started how many members are going your way yeah. too. 
it just obviously means you found a gap, yes. you found a hole, you found a niche and it's working yes. and it's good and particularly now it's even better. Yes. But how do you scale? You need to now find more marketing more managers. virtual marketing managers. So, so are you on the hunt? Uh, yeah, we are, and we always are, and this is the thing. So, and you know, we're, we're actually find, we've actually found a couple through um, some other club members as well who who were oh, who great. also have marketing businesses. Yes. So, um, you know, what we're looking for is you know people ha- who have typically the same level of experience as as myself. So we've got you know around ten years experience as in digital and marketing. They could have obviously worked their way up because that's how most people do. Um, and but it's okay if they're specialized. Because the reality is not everyone's going to be specialised in MarTech. Not everyone will be specialised in e-com. Some people are going to be highly specialised in social media tactics and execution. So that's okay. Because you're all part of a little marketing super <laughs> super community. Super so you community. can all talk to each other anyway. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so in answer to your question, yes. And the other re- the only other way that we can scale is by making sure everything is systemized and everything is processed. And we're actually using another MarTech tool, which is more of an organizational tool, which is Monday.com. I don't know yeah, if you guys use I know it. Monday. We use Monday.com for everything on a client facing and internal oh, great. basis. We so used to, I think, but now, now I don't think we do anymore. And so who's the ideal marketing manager? Is it uh, someone who wants to be their own boss and be their own marketing manager mm. and have their own clients but work with other yeah. professionals like yourself and the, and the team, you know, running Definitely. Their own thing. So are they taking most of the clip or part of the clip and then the company? Correct. Yeah, that is correct. And I think the reality is, is like, you know, coming back to what we were saying about club members, it's like kind of the core attitude that unifies people. It's the fact that they may have been corporate their whole life. And now if they're a female, they may have had children and now they're finding returning to corporate a bit too tricky or... It's actually a great model for, it's, for it's women returning for from, women. Yeah. yeah, for for mothers exactly. So, um, I mean, that's not me yet, um, but it, but I can definitely see that it will be will be amazing when there's children involved. So I think. Um, the attitude of, you know, feeling a little bit restricted within their existing job or they're looking to kind of diversify across industries and not just work for the one client. And, um, you know, you know, different to an agency, we have a lot more integration within the business from an operational perspective and an ownership perspective to work with the CEO and the senior leadership team or the investors. So you still have that same level of ownership as being internal without kind of managing far too many clients absolutely and and the client can feel that so that's always the thing that pushed me towards having someone in internally it was just that if you're a cub you need to be so cub that you bleed cub like it you know (laughs) cub 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 and um that was one that was one read but that definitely is better it's a better than the agency totally i wouldn't say it's still full house in-house but it's still it's definitely better than the agency it's it's 100 hybrid love it okay (laughs) leave us with one last final thought or key lesson that you can share with marketing or whatever it may want to be um that you can share with the listeners don't forget they're probably going to remember you other than your sexy technology Mm. they're probably going to remember you by this last thing so make it good (laughs) pressure i guess like for me I mean, I've obviously got so much to learn and um, I'm relatively new in business. Um, So I'm not going to give a lesson, but I guess I'll give you three things that have really worked for me. Um, I'm a a. 4am, 4.30am, get out of bed type person. So for me, it is so incredibly important to build your day around how you like to work. If you know you're most productive between 7 and 11 in the morning, make that the time for work. No meetings, obviously, if they're urgent, fine, but don't have your whip between those times. Don't have client meetings between those times. Don't go and work, you know, somewhere that you know you're going to get distracted between those times. Just get it done and make sure that you're doing it every day religiously. 
otherwise you'll yeah things get a bit stressful two relationships are everything and cub is a perfect example of that um yeah cub <laughs> and I think, you know, about relationships, like always have an open mind and a generous spirit because the reality is if you think you know it all, if you think you're not looking for a client that day, if you think you're, you know, you're you're too big to be growing or, you know, you've got it down pat, you're obviously wrong. And I think it's amazing what you learn when you kind of have that open, um, open mind and generous spirit. And then the third thing, um, which is probably the most important thing for me, is to get yourself out of the bubble as regularly as possible. I know you do it. You go down to the farm. Virtual marketing management was actually born in a hotel room in Sicily last year. <laughs> you know, uh, you know. I, as I said, like I live overseas a lot and for me picking myself up and extracting me out of the Sydney bubble is the best thing that I could do on a regular basis. Now it's a little different um, with COVID and no, and no flights, but yeah, remove yourself out of that bubble, switch the phone off, go to a farm, check into an Airbnb and just have time to work on the business and get creative with it. I agree completely and wholly with absolutely all of them. Alexandra King, thank you so much for not just being a fantastic and loved member of our community at Cub but for sharing your infinite wisdom in all things marketing and your very innovative um, business model, which I think thank is going to benefit so many Australian businesses. Thank you for listening, everyone. Goodbye.